0: Everyone. so uh we've got uh, paul smith uh who's the uh vp of uh, red hat public sector uh, with us today who and he's he's actually our boss so after the last episode dave and i were talking and we we're thinking you know all the great renaissance artists had one thing in common is is they all had patrons and uh the best way to uh to glorify your patron uh is by creating a work uh that uh, that holds them up um and so that's why we're doing a podcast with our boss paul smith today uh uh, Paul, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, well, thank you, uh, Gunnar, and thanks, Dave, for having me on uh, the open-source version of Wayne's World. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to it, and by no means I think there's any coincidence with the fact that uh, today I'm actually having to get my equity nominations into the uh, into headquarters. So <laughs> the timing, of course, as usual, is superb.
2: We'll, right. we'll ask our questions accordingly. <laughs>
0: So, Paul, I thought, I thought we'd probably let people... I mean, you've been here since uh, since Red Hat Public Sector was was founded. Um, can, can you give us a little bit of the history of, of kind of how the group started inside Red Hat?
1: Yeah, well, uh, we all have to go back almost 10 years. It's been nine years since uh, the company under Matthew Zulick uh, decided let's make a real investment in this marketplace. Uh, and uh, the investment was basically people. Uh, as uh, some former... Uh, Bosses of ours like to say we were basically two guys and a dog. We're now over 130 people strong, and that's not counting the number of people that are actually on-site in a fee-based type of uh, relationship, about another 150 strong. So our presence has grown quite significantly. And most of that was about getting folks that spoke the language at the agency level, uh, knew their mission, knew what we could do to drive efficiencies – uh, in, uh, in their data centers uh, uh, by prosecuting uh, open standards type of uh, mentality, open source in particular. Yes. So uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a very, very good ride for both Red Hat and for the government. I think the one major distinction uh, from all of the companies I've worked for over the last 20-plus years, we'll leave it at that, uh, <laughs> is that uh, the government takes a real leadership position on the technology front when it comes to open source In terms of setting the standards In terms of you know having it involved In mission critical areas And our first best customer Were those folks that are doing uh, The most secure uh, type of work That is done in terms of National defense and protecting uh, The assets of this uh, country uh, In the intelligence community So that was pretty much I think The imprimatur for hey Open source is safe, open source is secure It scales and we can save you Lots of money on the front end, what I like to call the CapEx. But more importantly, lots of money on the back end or the tail, what a lot of people like to call operational expense.
0: Yeah, so Paul, do you think that's typical for, for a kind of a young company starting out? Is, is it typical to kind of first enter through the defense or, or the intelligence agencies and then work your way into civilian? Is that, do you think that's normal or do you think that's unusual for, for Red Hat?
1: I think it's normal. Um, if I go all the way back to my youth – when I used to work for that uh, that company that sells databases out uh, on the on the west coast, their first best customer was the CIA and uh, the project was codenamed project Oracle so this is where a lot of innovation has to happen first and fast on the edge, so to speak where we 're looking for Uh, The government version of competitive advantage when uh, trying to keep the the shore safe and have, uh, you know, and and keep an eyeball on our adversaries. So I think it's very typical, and it's a very good strategy uh, uh, and a a very good place to start.
0: Yeah, so – and, Paul, is the – as far as the intelligence agencies and the the Defense Department goes, I mean, it's kind of – I mean, it was a surprise to me. I know when I started, it was a surprise to me that they were the first adopters because they're also the guys with kind of the hardest requirements, Right.
1: Indeed. And uh, what better place to, uh, to test drive uh, uh, areas of security, high-performance compute, high, uh, high ingest, high analytics, and, and, and the like? If it works there, it's pretty much good for almost any other place in the government.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen that myself, too, where it's like if people say that, well, if it's good enough for the NSA, it's good enough for me. I don't have bigger security problems than they do. Um, so I you know Paul, you mentioned you know historically you weren't at open source companies your whole career, but so as as you know being starting a public sector organization and growing it um, what what are some of the cultural differences and what are some of the things that you know from uh, being uh, uh, in a management role in proprietary companies going to the open source companies? What are ways that, that, that you have done things differently and, 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 you know, whether it's out of necessity or, you know, from a culture standpoint, how are things culturally different?
1: Well, selfishly speaking, I think open source happened to me at a very good time in my career because uh, the very basic tenets of open source in terms of uh, participation, um, in terms of freedom of thought, in terms of uh, peer review, actually play very well in the management schema as well. Um, you know, So there's a change that's been happening over the last 10 or 15 years in terms of how uh, great companies are managed. And this idea of command and control doesn't work anymore. Hierarchy by org chart uh, does not work. Leadership happens not because of title, but because of uh, the fact that you have followers. You have great ideas that are then going to be uh, expanded upon by sharing those ideas with other folks and vetting them out in a large community. Now, as a company, we do that when we're doing technology innovations. But from a management standpoint, we also do that in terms of valuing all of our employees. Everyone at every level in every position has got something to add uh, to the conversation. And it taught me nine or 10 years ago now to embrace that. And uh, because of that, I think we've got a very robust, fun place to work where everyone has a feeling that uh, they can make a change and they can make contribution. So thank God for open source for me me personally.
2: Yeah, and well, and I guess too. Whenever like a lot of times, you know, we bring people on board, and it's it's a culture shock for them, right? Where where they're used to the top down, you know, banging their shoe on the podium, thou shalt do this, and you know, I, I, how do you handle that? Whenever you you have folks that you hire, and how do you help them with that cultural transition?
1: Yeah, you know, there's um, uh, you you try to you try to coach people away from being. Um, over the top differential uh, a yeah. uh, uh, deferential I, I should say you know uh, don't uh, necessarily um, uh, respect someone because they hold a position of power, respect them for uh, what they can do to help you do your job
0: yeah okay yeah so so Paul and uh, you've uh, i mean you've probably interviewed hundreds of people uh for for work in the public sector is is there anything that you're looking for in particular like how do you know ahead of time whether's whether someone's going to be a good cultural fit when they're sitting there in their best suit um you know talking to you about their last job
1: you know a lot of it comes down to uh you'd like to say it's gut, but there is actually a process to get through uh that trying to get to know somebody in an hour mm-hmm. you know because you basically uh have a process where people go and talk to fifteen or so, maybe ten or so people in the organization. You've got an hour to try and vet out, you know, what this person's life story is about, what their uh, their CV is all about. And um, some of the things I look for are just uh, intellectual curiosity. You know, um, what is it that you like to do? Why is it that you do that? What's the process you go through in terms of your decision making process, both professionally and personally? So I'm looking for people that. Basically, have a capacity uh, to learn and a curiosity as well, and uh, a diverse, uh, a, d- a diverse uh, set of interests uh, all the way around. And uh, some of them can just engage in conversation and just uh, be interesting and intriguing. Uh, bring something to the table that I otherwise wouldn't know. Uh, one of my philosophies in terms of how do we get along together as a group is that uh, if there's three of us in a room and um, uh, two people are in agreement uh, 100% uh, somebody's redundant we like the diversity of ideas. <laughs> <about, right? laughs> right? so I don't, you, we don't need yes men uh, we need people that will uh respectfully you know uh, respect other people's ideas and not uh call out someone as that was that was the most stupid thing that i've ever heard in my life you know i don't attack the world like piers morgan uh, mm-hmm. perhaps on cnn <laughs> but i might come back and say that's interesting please defend that
2: yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah and and it's and yeah and, and and challenging people and holding them accountable too. It's it's not just having the ideas but it's like okay that's a great idea why don't you do that? Mm-hmm. And and holding them accountable for that. Um so so you've been doing this for for uh, a, a while now Paul and knowing what you know now are there things that you would have done differently or done things sooner than 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 you did in the past or or how would you you know, what, what are some of the, the the things that you wish, like, man, I wish I would have done this particular thing sooner?
1: You know, there's always things that you look back in hindsight and say, what could I have done a little bit uh, differently? Um, as I've made that transformation from a company that was or companies that were somewhat hierarchical in their approach uh, that uh, sold licenses versus subscriptions. I mean, so many cultural changes uh, in the, in the models and so forth. I think the whole idea of embracing empowerment earlier on uh, probably would have been better, uh, which is to not only push that out, but make sure people understood that they, they were the captains of their own destiny. They were the CEO, if you will, of their, their turf, of their domain. If you owned a particular agency or if you owned a particular project, you're the person that's really empowered to gather the resources and to make this thing happen. And uh, while it's somewhat uh, uh, rebellious in some corporate cultures to seek forgiveness rather than permission, I think it's pretty much embraced here Mm -hmm. and probably would just need – I would have gone back in time and said I would have made that more apparent earlier on that this is a safe place to be in terms of going out there and pushing it on the edge a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know that, uh, you know, as a new hire, that was something that, that was a, that was a realization that, that I think I had to make pretty quickly, right. Is that, uh, you know, there's, (laughs) it's like, you know, in, in kind of developer or, uh, developer conference circles, you know, there's this old adage of, you know, if, if you can't find the sign for the bathroom, it's because you haven't made one yet. (laughs) Um, and, and and, and that's a lot like working for Red Hat, especially, you know, especially when I started seven years ago. Um, it's kind of like, oh, nobody's doing this. Okay, well, I better start doing it then. Um, and it's that kind of uh, almost like a pioneer spirit, right? Um, uh, I think it's I think it was really important to to our success, especially early on. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, especially when when you know when we were really small, um, where there yeah. wasn't you know there wasn't a department for you know doing the the security, or you know it was like it was one of many jobs of one person. Um, where it's like something needed to be done, somebody stood up and did it. Um, and we're even still doing that today with, with a lot of the work that, uh, you know, the, that the SA organization has done with, with uh, the SCAP work um, and, and a lot of the other things where we're, we're developing communities internally and, and, uh, and including our partners and our customers.
0: Yeah, we should we should actually give a, a briefly just give a shout out to Sean Wells who's done great work on that on developing security guidance for REL um, and he's he's really spearheaded it uh, on our side and yeah you're right David that's a classic example of uh, kind of the Red Hat pioneer spirit um, Sean saw that nobody was uh, you know nobody was doing the kind of the nitty gritty work and he went ahead and did it um, uh, he did a great job um, so it, it, and actually Paul so so when we started uh, or when you started, I guess about 10 years ago, um, all you had to do was sell Linux, um, <laughs> which, w- which was probably a handful, uh, at the time. But, but now we gotten, I feel like we got an okay at it, right? Now we're a billion dollar company. We kind of know what we're doing, we think. Um, but now we're like, the portfolio expanded. I think about six months after I joined, we suddenly added JBoss, right? Um, and now we've got f- like five business units and uh, probably two, do- at least two dozen products. Um, how like as as someone who's like running a uh, r- running a government organization like this, like how do you handle um, growing the portfolio as quickly as we have? Um, what kind of what kind of things go through your mind as you're trying to figure out how to
1: um,
0: h- how to give each product the attention it deserves?
1: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's an awesome type of uh, responsibility if you let it get to you, and I think part of the transformation that we're all making right now is this concept of uh, difference between managing and leading. And uh, if you try to manage all of those moving parts, uh, it's very, very difficult. If you have great people in place that have the same type of uh, cultural philosophy, it's easy to, easier to lead them under the same concepts. So if you look at what made us successful over time with uh, Linux as an example, is that it was a great disruptor. It was, uh, it was a disruptor of proprietary Unix solutions on proprietary uh, hardware architectures. And the fact that we had this convergence of a ready-for-prime-time operating system that was robust, along with the chip companies coming out with standards like x86 that would provide you know, a platform on commodity hardware, was a great thing. So with Linux, we disrupted uh, the normal uh, status quo of uh, you know, going to a particular hardware company for uh, an up and down the stack type of solution, as we move into so many other areas, <clears throat> uh, not only are we a disruptor, uh, we are leading uh, thought uh, uh, leaders right now we are we are leading in the space of innovation for everything that 's happening I mean this industry is moving at a faster pace now than it ever has. I mean, we take a look at uh, some of the transitions from mainframe to client server uh, now, into you know um, departmental systems and now into this world of cloud, whatever that means, um, innovation's happening so quickly and it 's happening in the open source world when we take a look at things like cloud management, when we take a look at things like storage, when we take a look at things like uh, uh, a platform as a service, you know what, how are we going to deliver uh, application, uh, an application development environment that's going to be friendly, flexible and, uh, and, and agile. Uh, type of environment such that uh, innovation can happen faster. So while we are still in the role of playing disruptor to some of the status quo for some you know, application development environments, we're also uh, first to market in a lot of areas in terms of uh, cloud management, not only for infrastructure as a service, um, but also for, uh, for platform as a service, which uh, uh, loosely defined is uh, where developers will go to uh, uh, go about their works without having to worry about um, uh, data center uh, minutiae, you know, mm-hmm. do I buy, you know, what hardware can I get access to, where do I stand it up, the acquisition process, and so forth. So it, it, they are exciting times. Uh, there's a lot more out there, but we have a lot more people that are, uh, are going down the path. So as long as I think we maintain to our value system, uh, you know, just leading people in those areas rather than trying to be the expert mm-hmm. in all of them, is uh, part of the keys for potential success moving forward
2: yeah so and it, as we we wrap up and we we think of, uh with some some parting thoughts and you know I noticed you know your last statement you were saying about the, the the innovation is happening in open source um you know it's it's a lot of the startups they are open source uh just because that gives them uh, it allows them to fight above their weight um and so what, what advice would you give to the, the budding startup that, that wants to become the next billion-dollar open-source software company? Um, what is some of the advice you would give to them?
1: Well, at, at a high level is, uh, you know, first of all, you have to believe that what you're doing has value. Uh, you have to have um, uh, a lot of fidelity with the open-source community, and you have to be able to articulate the, the, uh, the differentiation between open-source community project and open source uh, product. And uh, there has to be some significant value add uh, on the product side. And I think what we've done well as the archetype for the open source community in terms of making something a product is providing a lot of stability, predictability, uh, and a COTS environment for open source. So if you're a budding open source type of company, yes, embrace community powered innovation, but also embrace the fact that you've got a story to tell in terms of how you will provide an environment that will um, not upset the rest of the ISV ecosystem, uh, will uh, work well backward and forward versions uh, in a support environment, especially for the government marketplace. It's at least 10 years in some areas, 13 years or more, and uh, be able to tell that story so that you don't get um, commoditized yourself with you know, uh, open source projects, which in their own right are incredibly valuable and the foundation for everything we do, but um, at the end of the day, uh, customers need, especially government customers, need a way to run their operations uh, without a lot of uh, daily ups- uh, um, disruptions of uh, ongoing innovations. Yeah.
2: So it sounds like like it's not open source is more just like a bullet on a marketing deck. It is. It should be a lifestyle that, that, you know, from whether it's cultural or the way you write the code, um, it, that should be part of the company's DNA um, as opposed to, well, we're going to do a little bit of proprietary over here. And, a little. you know, it's, it, to me, it seems like you've got to be all in if, if you want to do open source. I,
1: I like that. I like the fact that you, you, you put it as open source is a way of life, right? Yeah. So it's not just about... Um, you know, open source for the sake of open source because it's trendy or it's a buzz phrase. It's uh, it's a better development model. Period. Uh, mm-hmm. Things happen faster. Uh, things happen faster uh, and better when more people are involved. And we know from a security standpoint alone that um, more eyeballs make for shallow bugs. Yeah. So uh, these are all very important concepts. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it's great, Paul. Well, Paul, listen. Thanks very much for taking time out of your uh, your valuable. Um, Uh, equity allocations Uh, (laughs) noted to to spend time with us today Um, I I thought this was great Um, we we should probably have you on more often Um, uh, any last words Dave?
2: So, well, Gunner, um, if people wanted to follow Paul on Twitter, um, should we put him in the show notes? And where where would we go? for where would people go for the show notes?
0: Oh, yeah, great question, Dave. So, so uh, if people want to go listen to previous episodes of the show, uh, if they want to see the show notes uh, and be able to follow, follow Paul on Twitter, uh, they can go to dgshow.org. That's D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show. org. Great.
2: Okay. Well, thanks a lot, everybody, and we'll see you next time.